If you've ever had that question in your mind, maybe I'm not serious enough for leadership. Maybe I'm too serious. Maybe I'm too introverted. Maybe I'm too extroverted. And you thought leadership should look and feel and sound a certain way. Then this episode is for you. Welcome to the Empower Podcast, episode 131. Welcome to the Empower Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron, coming to you from Los Angeles, California. This show helps you turn insights into action for powerful leadership growth. And I'm so excited to welcome to the show, Lindsay Miller. Lindsay is the Vice President of Global Business Development at Residio, and she has had an incredible career in technology And Lindsay is on a mission to change the world by helping all of us change to green energy. The other dramatic change that Lindsay is making is in company culture. Listen to my conversation with Lindsay and how she talks about authentic leadership and how that is the key to building culture. Let's dive in. All right, Lindsay, I am so glad you're here today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Would love to have you just start out by sharing a little bit about yourself and your career history. Great. Thank you, Natalie. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm Lindsay Miller, and I am the vice president of our global business development team at Residio. And I am a mother of uh, two teenagers, a 17-year-old boy and a 14-year-old girl, and I've been married to my husband, Kirk, for 21 years. I live in Southern California, and I travel a lot, but I love it, and uh, just try to juggle juggle it all. Yeah. Well, actually, we're doing this interview. You're in Florida currently. Yes, I am. I'm uh, where am I? I'm in Marco Island, Florida today at our annual Connect conference that we host for all of our professional installers. So um, my company, Residio, what we do is we protect what matters most. So we make security systems. We also have smoke and fire alarms. We own First Alert and we make thermostats, uh, Honeywell home thermostats. So we have a lot of products that might already be in your home and uh, trusted brands that people have used for many, many years. And uh, so we we have a quite a big portfolio of those products as well as a distribution company called ADI Global. And uh, yeah, it's it's been really fun. I've been here for a year and uh, I, I really love it. It's just wonderful. Great team of people with a really good culture. That's great. I, and I, I do. I have a Honeywell thermostat in my house right now. So um, so I'm I'm curious, you know, Lindsay, what share with us a little bit about how you got to where you are. Uh, you know, a lot of people see where you are now and would love for you just to share a little bit about your career journey. How did you get to vice president and what was important to you in your leadership along the way? Wow, that's a big question. And um, I have to tell you, ever since I was a little girl, I have loved science and technology. So I have always been committed to that. And um, so I knew that by around the time I was in college and I started doing internships with Motorola and Eaton Semiconductor that I wanted to work in tech. Uh, But I knew I didn't necessarily want to be an engineer. I wanted to be, I wanted to use my creativity. And I always had a 
you know, a knack for business. So um, even though I changed my major three times, I ended up getting a marketing degree at the University of Texas at Austin and just began my whole journey throughout tech, uh, to a lot of different industries. Uh, started in telecom, went to embedded computing, did power conversion, uh, all sorts of different types um, and different sizes of companies, privately owned companies, small publicly traded companies, very large publicly traded companies, including Emerson and Residio, where I am now. And um, on that journey, I honestly just didn't really think so much about myself or the fact that I was really different from a lot of my peers because I just love what I do and I, I love the industry and I love how technology is always changing. As far as uh, becoming a vice president, I think um, I'm a late bloomer uh, in the sense that I, I wasn't really ambitious about what my leadership role was until after my kids were born, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And some people find that surprising. Um, but it's it's mainly because I was just so immersed in what I was doing. I quite frankly didn't care about title. I just wanted to be involved in some big technology trend or help build something. But then when I started to kind of see that I could take that on or or think, oh, I don't want that other person to do that. I want to do that. It happened to be around the time that I that I had children and I was having to make a lot of decisions. So um, I, I waffled around between running product teams and running sales teams and cross-functional teams, combination of engineering, marketing, and sales folks. And I found myself just naturally wanting to take on more leadership roles. And every time I asked for them, people said, what have you been waiting for? So that's <laughs> essentially how I ended up getting to be a VP. And that was when I was at Emerson Network Power. So that's the story. So I love your story, Lindsay, and and appreciate you sharing it. And you bring up a really important point is most often at around at or around the time that women are having kids or their kids are in about elementary school or just entering middle school is a time where most women's careers are really accelerating. And women are often put into having to make some tough decisions between what do I want here moving forward based on, you know, my family environment and what's happening right now in my life? And so how did you navigate that? And what is your advice for ambitious mothers who are kind of bumping up against those career choices? Well, first, I'd tell you I navigated it pretty poorly, uh, (laughs) which is why I devote so much of my time to mentoring other women, because I really do want to pay it forward for them and them not to make the same mistakes that I made biggest mistake that I made was assuming that I couldn't take on that role that I really wanted. Because if I did, I wouldn't be as present with my family. And I wouldn't be able to travel as much or be as accountable or take on so much responsibility. So I passed up some of those roles that I knew that I could do thinking that other colleagues would do them better because they could devote themselves to it more than me. But what I learned in retrospect and hindsight is 2020 is that those people that that did take on those roles, they worked hard at them and they succeeded and they did it their own way. I didn't take those roles. I did the lesser role, but I worked just as hard at the lesser role. So it was ridiculous that I didn't accept it and just do whatever I was going to do because the outcome would have been 
equal or greater. And I ended up working just as much, traveling just as much, taking on as many sacrifices. And so my advice to women is if you're presented with a challenging role that you know is going to come at some sacrifice, just know that you're going to make the same sacrifice and you're just going to be as all in on the thing that you are doing while passing that role up. So just take the role. Lindsay, such powerful words. We could actually end the podcast right here because it's so true. It is so true. And I don't, I think people are, which is in a good way, right? People are constantly looking ahead. What's the next role? What's the next role? But I think your point is so powerful around you're going to be doing the work anyway. So why not take the role? And you're going to know how to navigate it and you're going to be just as busy and have just as much responsibility. So I think your your point is, I hope, driving home for my listeners the power to really think about and really reevaluate based on what you're sharing in, in a new way. And I one of the things I know about your leadership, because we've had conversations and I've gotten to get to know you, I've had the privilege of getting to know you, is you are all about people. That was so clear in your intro when you were talking about title didn't matter to you. You just wanted to do a good job. You just wanted to make a difference. And I'm curious to know, what are your authentic leadership strengths? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I I was part of a program um, where I did a, I had to do a self-assessment. And then some of my, my peers and managers and colleagues also assessed me. And, um, the purpose of this was to determine my career path, right? And so um, one of the, the questions in the assessment was, how are you going to change in order to become the leader that you want to be? And one of the things that I thought I had to do was to be more serious and to act more like people I saw in leadership roles. And it was it was my my I was doing two things at the time. One, I had an executive coach, uh, and I also was reading um, the biography by Catherine Graham, who was, you know, the first female publisher of a newspaper, The Washington Post, in the 20th century. And I had this authenticity epiphany around this time because I thought I had to be really serious as a leader, and I had to, you know, kind of adapt myself to be like other people I saw in power in order to just, you know, take on that next, that next step. And it was my coach at the time who basically grabbed me by the shoulders and said, Lindsay, don't ever do that. Those were her (laughs) words. Don't ever do that. She said, the reason that people like to be on your team or they perform for you, or they, you know, want to be part of growing the business with you is because you aren't very serious. You're funny, or you know, you um, you're really transparent. You're blunt, you know. And so, I thought, yeah, I am, and I don't know how to not be who I am. And then I saw this interview of Catherine Graham. It was a video that I, you know, I was reading about her, so I was googling because that's my late night habit. Is I Google things till way like late, way late at night. <laughs> All the questions I have throughout the day, I end up googling late at night. Yes. I don't get- sleep anyway. So I was Googling her and I found this video and she was being interviewed and she was just so herself, so comfortable in her own skin and a little bit irreverent at times. And her sense of humor came through. And I thought, yes, that is what I want to be. I just want to be myself because I don't know how to lead while trying to be somebody else. The best way is to just be who you are 
and, you know, connect with other people. Find the thing that fires them up, their authentic self. Connect your authentic self with their authentic self. You will actually find a really solid connection. You'll find what makes them tick. And that's our purpose as a leader is to find out how do I get my team engaged? It might take a lot of time one-on-one to go to every person that's valued on your team, have that conversation with them, ask them, what is it that makes you bring your purpose to work? And you can't do that in a big room. You can't do that like in some generic fashion. You really do need to do this one-on-one. So for me, it's about knowing my own authenticity, but also trying to understand others and what makes them tick and how they feel inspired at work so that they feel comfortable being authentic too. Again, Lindsay, I love your insight on this. And my question to you around being authentic is, because I have had some of my coaching clients struggle with the same same thing. And I'm glad your coach gave you that advice because that's my advice to my clients as well in my coaching and consulting to them. My question is for you, what do you do when your authenticity and how you're showing up maybe isn't sitting well with others in the boardroom or others in a an environment where maybe that's not fully embraced? Mm-hmm. Have you been in that situation and what have you done? I always, you know, yes, absolutely. I've been in that situation. I always remind myself that God gave me two ears and one mouth for a reason. And that is to listen, be self-aware, read the room. You know, you shouldn't come in there all crazy. We do always have to have that dial called finesse, you know, to soften our edges. But when you realize that, oh, my intensity was a little too much there, just stop and comment on it. So people know that you're aware. And, 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 you know, I always say, if I've offended you, you know, please let me know, you know, or things like that. I I want to show people that I see, you know, I see them and I am open to feedback. I think like, I I, I think about um, this concept of the growth mindset. When you have a growth mindset, you're always open to feedback and you're always on the intake. You can never be a know-it-all because you're always trying to be a learn-it-all. And so for me, that never, ever ends. I can never stop learning. Why else would I work in tech? Because nothing ever stays the same, right? So I usually try to make people aware that I'm aware that sometimes I'm I'm a little bit too much, but I'm also open to adapting based on what is appropriate or what they need in that moment. Yes, yes, I completely agree with you. So Lindsay, I'm curious, in your career, what leadership challenges have you faced in your leadership journey? I think for me, it's just motivating teams. That's been one thing that I faced. You know, I I always have some impossible task that I'm trying to do, like grow a business from scratch or whatever. And like we talked about earlier, the people, that's the thing that you really have to figure out. If you want to change something, it's not just solving a problem or introducing a technology. Culture is everything. If you want something big to happen with a collective of people, people from varied skills and different types of roles, you have to find out what motivates them. And I'll give you an example that is actually kind of hilarious. I was at a company where we we were starting up a business essentially within a multi-billion dollar business. And um, we had a factory that had never built these kinds of products before. It was the most complex thing they ever would have ever would have been tasked to build. 
And uh, it was one of our factories in in the Philippines. The most wonderful, loving people, so family oriented. I had never gone on a factory tour with a customer and side hugged every person on the line until this happened. But that's how they are. It was so great. And and we had like this big you know, complicated problem to solve. And so, you know, I was really, it was really hard for me to get at the motivation because they were such positive glass half full people that if I went in there and I said, you know, if we don't figure this out, we're going to die. They would have been like, great, we're going to heaven. I mean, they saw (laughs) like the best side of everything. I couldn't figure out like, what's the motivation, you know? And as we work together over time, I, I learn more and more about them and what motivates them and what kind of work makes them proud of what they do and how to connect what we were doing with that. So for me, it was just, I think the hardest part of leadership is figuring out how can you take your goals that you are trying to solve as a business and connect it to the personal uh, goals of each of the stakeholders. If you can figure that out, you can do anything because everybody's so fired up you know, it's not the technical problem that you have to solve or, you know, how how to, you know, get the funding that you need or how to hire the people or how to find the technology or deploy it. It's not that. It's culture. So to me, you know, I think the thing that I'm learning in my my leadership journey is that culture is everything. Absolutely. So, Lindsay, I love everything you're talking about around culture. And it it is so true. And especially with the younger generations, they're really looking for a place to work where they they are finding meaning and purpose in a culture. So what do you say to the leaders that are listening to this podcast that are running teams who are struggling with culture because they're tasked with cutting costs, laying off team members, the teams that are left are having to do more with less, are feeling pressure themselves, feeling overworked, overwhelmed, burnout, all of that. How do you manage that as a leader while keeping people engaged and retained in the culture? Yeah, there's a couple things that I always do first, and that is acknowledge. So anytime, whether it's somebody at work or a loved one, if they're facing something before you rush to the solution, which we managers like to do, right? <laughs> uh, before we do that, we need to stop and acknowledge and, and we need to stop and hear, give them space to share what's going on and understand all the variables, not because we are supposed to figure it out for them, but because they need to know that we hear them and that it's okay to just tell it like it is. So um, during COVID, we had a horrible and we're still facing a pretty bad supply chain crisis, right? Um, And there's a lot of yelling going all around, right? It's not fun for anybody and difficult problems to solve. So, you know, usually when I get the team together and we're dealing with something like that, I just say, let's, you know, I just want to give space to let acknowledge that what they're going through is hard. Now, as leaders who are, you know, dealing with this, I do remind them that, you know, your character is defined how, by how you respond, not necessarily in the good times, but in the bad times. And some of us have to build resilience, different stages of our life. You know, a lot of us find ourselves in leadership position, we probably had to do it early in our life. 
And so we started to develop these skills that we had, maybe others didn't have. And then we find ourselves as leaders going, hmm, why isn't everybody a leader? Well, because at some point you had to develop some resilience. Well, guess what? You're still having to do it. <laughs> so go back to that thing that you did when you started being resilient and ask yourself how you got out of it and how you managed. And maybe times have been good and you've just been having a great time and it's been easy. Well, time to go back to your resilience playbook. And think about how you're going to do it, because this is your chance to define, you know, how you're going to get out of it and also to lead your team and inspire your team about how you're going to do it. And it nothing is perfect. So it's always good to acknowledge what's difficult and go through the process of prioritizing how you're going to best address it. And just be real with yourself. You know, it's not going to be perfect. Life doesn't exist in a vacuum. But if we can stop and just acknowledge what's going on and say, hey, you know what, this does suck. Uh, but we're going to we're going to get through it. And I love you guys. Every one of you on my team, like I love you guys. This is bad. but We're going to do it. And if they know we're doing it together, it's just so much easier. I, I completely agree with you. You know, being in the trenches together can also be such a great bonding experience for a team and getting through those moments, getting through the valleys, make the peaks so much better when you can do that together. So I love that you share that and I appreciate appreciate your advice on that. What do you wish you could have told your younger self in your career? I wish I could have told myself to stop second guessing myself and stop not taking on some of those greater responsibilities that I could have taken. I wish that I had jumped in a little earlier, but I also kind of think it was the way it was supposed to be. I don't regret, you know, um, even though I, I let I passed up on a few things, I don't regret any second or hour or day that I had, you know, with my kids and not missing any milestones. Mm -hmm. But I know I wouldn't have missed those milestones either if I jumped in and taken some of those roles. So and it had nothing to do with the fact that I was an outlier. You know, I, there are not a lot of women in my the industries that I was in in tech. It had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with me and me just being stubborn and just, you know, not jumping in. So I wish I told myself that um, a little earlier. I, I also wish I told myself to get a little bit more involved in the industry I was always part of trade organizations and things that I was passionate about or involved in the community, charitable organizations, things like that. But I wish that I had taken on leadership roles in those civic community and trade organization things that I did. I was members of committees. I was helping define standards. You know, I was ch a chair of this and that. But I wish that I had been on higher level roles in those orgs earlier on in my career. So I tell uh, the women that I mentor and men as well in tech, hey, if you're already helping write that standard, go ahead and lead that committee. And then let that be a segue to you being on that board. You're, ar you're already the, um, the knowledge expert here. So go ahead and take that on. It might not even be a heavy lift. And um, and also you become somebody in the industry, not just your company. You need to kind of broaden your network and see yourself in other circles outside of just work. And so I, that's something that I wish I had done at a leadership level earlier on. Mm -hmm. I, I can relate to to that as well in terms of looking back and, 
you know, having some regrets around focusing so much on who I was internally in my organization and not necessarily who I was in the industry. So completely relate to that one. And I know you're really passionate around the lessons that you learned and the choices that you made. You know, while you have no regrets, you wish you would have done things differently. And we spoke before the podcast around imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I know you're really passionate about advocating and helping other people lift them up and helping them through imposter syndrome. And um, I know you had a, a recent exchange with someone that I would love for you to share. So, you know, tell us more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Imposter syndrome is a very common theme with people that I mentor, women and men. Uh, But I happened to be doing a ladies book club um, the last, uh, well, we we take turns leading. So there's 29 women in the book club. And uh, every quarter, uh, two of us get together and pick a book and we all read it or attempt to read it or in my case, sometimes listen to it on uh, while walking the dog. But anyway, our book was Think Again by Adam Grant, and it addressed a lot of concepts that we as leaders face that I that I think is really interesting. But I decided to write him a letter and ask him, do you have any particular advice for women as a result of, you know, us, this book club reading the book. And he he gave us some very specific advice on imposter syndrome. So I'll share that with you here. What he gave us was a paradox. And so the paradox goes like this. Others believe in you. You don't believe in yourself. Yet you believe yourself instead of them. So true. And so if you're doubting yourself, You should also be doubting your judgment of yourself. When multiple people believe in you, it's time to believe them. And so for me, I sometimes think, oh, I'm not ready for that. Or, oh, look at him. He's so much better at that than me. There's no way that I could do that. Or they're telling me that I'm his successor, but he's amazing. There's no way I could do that. Right. And so this is like our form of imposter syndrome. But then sometimes you find yourself around a whole bunch of people who look up to you and you're like, you look up to me. What? And so it's real. It's real. In our heads, we think that we're not yet somewhere that other people already see us at, or maybe even past. And um, so we, it's not like I'm I'm advocating that we should all be narcissists or anything, <laughs> but I am advocating people to just stop and be objective about themselves. Like, come on, don't tell yourself that you need to go take on some other role or make six more lateral moves in order to prove yourself. In many cases, you've actually already done it. It's so true. It's so true. And I see that in particular with women. They feel like they need all these extra credentials in their belt before they well, maybe I should go back and get my MBA. After that, maybe I should get my PhD, and then I might be ready. And then I'll take these these cross-functional roles, and then I might be ready. And it's just so interesting because I do find that men don't do that as much. They do sometimes, but they don't do it as much. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. Just going forward, moving forward, believing in yourself, and believing what other the feedback that you're getting from other people because a lot of people are getting great feedback and acknowledging that and owning that for yourself so so powerful yeah. so powerful yes and and like you said a lot of women think we need to be super qualified and have already done everything in order to take on the role 
And um, one of my mentors, I was talking to her one time and I said, you know, to to take this role on that I had been offered already, I said, do, do you think that I need to um, be a president of something or be a GM or I don't remember what it was. And she said, Lindsay, you've already done that. And um, it was true. I was actually even like piling on even more homework for myself. <laughs> and and it's not a, when you take on the role, I, I think you you shouldn't ask yourself, did I already do it? You should ask yourself, do I believe that I can do it? Because people are promoted based on their potential, not based on their experience when it is a big role like that, because nobody's ever done everything that's in that role. That role is unique. So we need to remind ourselves of that as women. We don't have to have already done it, but we have to feel capable to take it on. I completely agree with you. And I think looking back, I, I always talk about the windshield and the rearview mirror. So looking back and always thinking, well, have I done enough? And am I enough? I always talk about the rearview mirror is so small compared to the windshield. And we really need to be focused in on moving forward in our career. What skills and capacity and capabilities do we need to move forward? Not what have we done in the past? Yes, that's an important aspect of it to keep in perspective. But it is important to keep the size and perspective around mm-hmm. how much bigger the front windshield is than the rearview mirror. So I love that you share that as well. I like that analogy. I'm going to have to steal that. From <laughs> <me>. <laughs> You're welcome to it. Please share it with everyone. Okay. You know, I'm curious to know also, what's important to you now in your career? Speaking of moving forward, you know, not necessarily a five-year plan or anything like that, but what's just, what's the essence of what's truly important to you right now? I think right now I need to embrace my destiny. That's something that I have struggled with because um, I had, uh, you know, this notion that, well, I will take on any challenge when my kids are both in college. (laughs) And quite frankly, between now and then, there was this fog layer uh, that I couldn't see through because I just thought, well, I got to get the kids in college. And then when that's done, I can do anything, right? Mm-hmm. I have a very supportive husband. He has always been my biggest champion. So um, I just felt like that it had to happen in a serial fashion. But I know now that, and I've been challenged by a few great uh, leaders and managers, uh, CEOs that I that I really look up to, to just stop that, Lindsay. And so I'm done with that. I'm done with the fog layer. It's gone. So right now, I think I just need to embrace, um, my, you know, the the destiny that I have as a leader and, you know, where I feel comfortable is I, I really feel comfortable in large publicly traded companies. I feel like I know the, the kind of environment I want to operate in. Right now, I just need to be able to figure out how can I have the biggest impact? How can I lead the teams to the outcome that we want? And so for me, it's not about uh, a different type of function or role or a title. Again, like none of that matters. To me, it's how do we do this really big thing? And what is, who am I leading in that process? And how are we all going to get there? And so for me, it's, I'm always, I'm always taking on new challenges, but it's just embracing the one that is going to be that next rocket ship for me and for a team, more importantly, for them, for each of them. Because I've, you know, I've gone through some of my big steps, but now my purpose as a leader is to help other people get to that next step. And so um, just embracing that and being able to take it on and, 
and and bring other people on their journey is really what I need to do. You just you just kind of spoke into the next question I was going to ask you, which is around at the end of your career or even now, what do you want your leadership legacy to be? Because you talk about having a big impact. And so I'm curious to know what impact is important to you. You know, that's that's funny because I, I, I always ask my team that when they're when they're working on something like a strategic plan, I ask them, what's your legacy? And um, I haven't done a very good job writing my own legacy down, but I would love it if someday, um, you know, my obituary said something about the fact that in my life, I helped advance technology and that in my life, I helped us on a green energy transition. I think um, everything happens for a reason. And, um, you know, even though I grew up in West Texas in the oil and gas economy, the boom and the bust, great way to learn about economics at a young age, uh, we are on a journey to actually help fight this global warming situation and address decarbonization and figure out how to make green energy happen in a way that we're not trashing the planet and ourselves and making ourselves sick. And that the the key there is technology and really a social movement. And so in my life's work, I want to apply that. I want to figure out, you know, maybe I, I don't need to be the one that figured it out or even a huge leader in that. I want to just be another person that helped advance that. So that's that's my legacy as far as like my life's work and what I'm doing. And if if I helped other people get where they were going in their leadership journey along the way, that that's really great. But I'm just a hard worker and I do as much as I like to lead, I like to do the work and those are the things that are really important to me. Yeah, Lindsay, I, I hear you sharing that you really are a change maker on so many levels. You're a change maker for people on your team and that the people that you lead, you're a change maker for organizations and delivering results. And you're also a change maker for the world, changing how we go about, you know, saving this planet and making a change in technology in order to do that. So I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. Any last words of wisdom that you have for my listeners, or, you know, maybe one insight that you want them to to walk away with and really implement? Um, just working moms, you know, if, if they are going through something, just know there are other women like me out there that want to help them. And if they're looking for mentors, or they're trying to figure out how to get more women to stay in management longer in their careers at their companies, um, please reach out to me and other people like me, because we do want to help really talented people like that be able to stay in it. Uh, The numbers are, you know, they start out at parity at the entry level, but we see them drop off in management, female to male. And it's, it's really because they're dealing with so much. So just know that if you're a working mom, and you're trying really hard, but you're also like, physically exhausted at the end of the day because you just made dinner while on a conference call and then bath time and then stories and then you never even sit on the couch because then you have to go back to your desk and it's just (laughs) like a groundhog day that we have been there and there you know there it it is going to get better 
but don't give up on the things that you can do in your work life as well. It's okay if you're not there and it's okay to ask your spouse or your family or get some help because your kids are going to respect you just as much when you stayed in it and and they're going to admire you doing that. Don't feel like you have to just throw in the towel. If you feel like it's something that really inspires you and is intellectually stimulating, don't feel like you have to walk away from it. And there are people that have tools and ways to help you, including your employers that want to help you. Uh, Don't make the assumption that they're not there for you or that they wouldn't help you get to where you're going because they would. And so that's my advice for those working moms. Um, I just, I have like so much love for them uh, seeing what they're going through. And uh, yeah, I just want to help if, if they need, you know, someone to talk to or a network of women to talk to, there's some great organizations um, that I can suggest as well. Oh, Lindsay, you're uh, music to my ears. I, as you were talking about being a working mom, having small kids, doing bath time, reading the books, getting back on email after bed, you know, after they go to bed. Oh, I mean, I can completely relate to that. My kids are older right now um, at 19 and 22, but it is, it's really difficult. And I love that you're, you know, offering your support. I'll have your contact information in the show notes um, for people to reach out or organizations to reach out on how to retain their female managers. And you also bring up such a powerful topic around as women, it being okay for us to ask for help. We don't have to do everything. We don't have to, you know, I had such a distorted view of what I was supposed to be doing as a mother and what was important. I thought I needed to be cleaning the house. I thought I needed to be making dinner every every night until my therapist (laughs) said, no, you need to hire a house cleaner and order food in. And so it took so much pressure off of me. And I've had my house cleaner now for 30 years. And you know, it's just, well, probably not that long, but at least 22 years since I had my my youngest or my oldest. And it's just those type of those small changes that you can do. Hiring a service to pick up your dry cleaning. Have, there's, right. I have other, I coach other women who have services that come and do all their laundry. And you don't have to do everything. And I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to be everything, but yes, focusing in on what's important is the key yeah. and prioritizing that and letting every letting all the other stuff go. And that that's that's exactly it cuz at work we're really efficient. So at work we would we would come in and we would say, "Hmm, it looks like you're doing the same grocery order every week, <laughs> twice a week, and that's consuming X amount of your time. So let's outsource it, right?" But in your own personal life, you feel like, "No, I have to do that cuz I'm the mom." Well, you don't. You know, so you could have somebody else come in and manage the inventory of the groceries in your house. And did your kids notice or care? No. Now, did your son notice if you made the breakfast burrito or somebody else? Well, maybe. So, okay, stick with you making the breakfast burrito from time to time if it's a way to show love because that's important. But they are never going to know who folded their laundry. So let's just be honest. (laughs) That is not important. (laughs) So true. It is so true. It's so true. 
Lindsay, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for you. for making the time, for being here, especially that you're traveling in Florida. I wish you safe travels home. And again, thanks for being here on the Empower Podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Natalie. It was a pleasure. All right. We'll talk soon. Take care. Mm-hmm.